welcome to PFF Wire. I'm Doug Kide, joined as always by Brad Spielberger. Brad, how are you doing today? Doing great. We got uh, some interesting primetime games, some, some good uh, games this weekend, some intrigue, some some feet of snow coming in now that it's November, getting into December. So uh, it's it's football season. Yes, it sure is. Uh, I uh, am a mess today. I barely ate anything. I like shoved two Oreos into my mouth before I came on here because I was like, I, I'm kind of hungry. I realized I hadn't eaten all day. I was volunteering in my kids' kindergarten art class today. That was a disaster. But I am ready to record this show today and talk first about the Taylor Heineke, Carson Wentz quarterback controversy. Um, I, I think that we all probably could have envisioned that this possibly could have happened before the season, especially if Carson Wentz got injured at some point. Um, and I think that it's telling in itself that we have this quarterback controversy that the commanders probably should not have traded what they did for Carson Wentz. Uh, they got out a little bit ahead of the quarterback situation, traded for Carson Wentz um, before, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo became available, before Matt Ryan became available, before Baker Mayfield became available, all these different things. And not necessarily saying that any of those other quarterbacks would have been significantly better for the commanders. But the fact that Carson Wentz got injured, Taylor Heineke came in, he's now strung together a three and one record. Um, yeah, probably not worth giving up what the commanders did for Carson Wentz. No, not at all, especially when you add in the contract. Maybe you could make the argument if Indianapolis held on to a bunch of money or something like that, and you say, hey, we're going to take a swing with draft capital but not spend a lot. We're spending about eight, uh, $28 million this year and gave up the two-thirds that maybe could become a second, although it's starting to look like they're going to start Taylor Heineke right. both for football and maybe for non-football reasons. Uh, yeah, let's get into what the commanders should ultimately do in that situation. And – statistically it's a little bit difficult to state the case for Taylor Heineke over Carson Wentz. Um, but of 39 NFL quarterbacks with uh, among with over a hundred plays, Taylor Heineke ranks 28th in EPA per play. Whereas Carson Wentz ranks 35th in EPA per play. I think that's probably the strongest case that you could make for, uh, for Taylor Heineke beyond just being like, Oh, it's vibes. Taylor Heineke wins and Carson Wentz doesn't. And the team plays harder for Taylor Heineke than it does uh, for Carson Wentz, which, you know, those are things that that do matter. Uh, obviously, intangibles matter. And it does seem like, you know, with intangibles, Taylor Heineke certainly has the advantage over Carson Wentz. Uh, so some other just stats to throw out there about Taylor Heineke is um, completion percentage over expected 21st, Carson Wentz 35th. Taylor Heineke is slightly better in our play action, play action passing grade. He's 27th. Carson Wentz is 32nd uh, in our quarterback responsibility for pressure percentage. Very minor difference. Taylor Heineke tied for seventh best, uh, you know, lowest. Carson Wentz has the ninth lowest quarterback responsibility for pressure percentage. And then just team EPA per play. Uh, the commanders are 23rd with Taylor Heineke, 27th when Carson Wentz was a starter, and then Team EPA per pass play, 23rd with Taylor Heineke, 24th with Carson Wentz. So even in a lot of these stats that Taylor Heineke has been better than Carson Wentz, it's kind of by an infinitesimal amount. It's like they're not still a productive offense with Taylor Heineke on the field. They're just a little bit better in some of these statistical categories. I would say that given the fact that they did just beat the Eagles – you might as well ride with Taylor Heineke until the wheels come off. Um, but 
That being said, Taylor Heineke has not been fantastic, you know, grade-wise during his four games as a starter. No, there's no question about it. If you look at big-time throw rate, Carson Wentz at 5.2%, Taylor Heineke down at 2.5%, and then turnover-worthy play rate, Wentz at 3.4%, Heineke's at 6.4%. I do think statistically you probably can make the argument. You mentioned the, the joke about vibes, although it is it is real. But I also think in the game we saw on Monday night, he also made these heads-up, kind of quick-thinking plays that that has, has been what's played Carson Wentz for a while now. So first, where they, the ball snapped over his head, he ran backwards, was able to get it and throw it out of bounds, not have the um, intentional grounding by throwing it far enough. I think, you know, quarterbacks could have fallen on that and taken the 20-yard sack or, or taken a real sack or done a lot of different things. And then later... When he took the knee, he, he said that he went on a podcast. I want to say it was with the Kelsey brothers. Um, went on a podcast. Oh, no, it was Pat, Pat McAfee, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Um, and, and said, you know, I, I knew it was either hit Terry McLaurin with a throw. If he wasn't open, just get down to run the clock. And obviously, yeah. he took the knee, got the penalty from Brandon Graham, and, and basically clinched the game. Not to pile on Carson Wentz, but that, like he would never do that. He would he would run around like a chicken with his head cut off right. and try to make a miracle, throw an interception, or or fumble the ball, or do something. Um, so yeah, I mean Wentz is better. There is a higher ceiling there. I do believe that they have Atlanta, Houston, Atlanta, Giants by Giants. Their next five weeks, they really could be like yeah. an eight win football team. Granted, they're going into a very tough stretch. I want to say it's San Francisco, Cleveland, and one of their good team to finish out the year. But nevertheless, they have kind of a window here, and I do think Wentz is a better player, but I think you can't bench Taylor Heineke right now. Yeah, I don't think that you can. And, and like you said, I do think that Carson Wentz is probably the better player. That's why you give up what you did for him. But this is just really the latest stop where things have not worked out well for Carson Wentz. And obviously now with the Eagles, the Colts, the Commanders, and – you know, if if Taylor Heineke starts for the rest of the season, and then uh, what's uh, what's his contract situation? The the Commanders can get out of it pretty easily after this. Almost season. entirely clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, if if Taylor Heineke starts the rest of the season, then you essentially just have to cut Carson Wentz after this year. There's really no option to to keep him as a backup or even as a you know competition next year on the salary that he has. But, I mean, what even happens to Carson Wentz at that point? Because he just falls in with all those other veteran free agent quarterbacks we've talked about numerous times on this show. Does Carson Wentz get another opportunity where he is the bona fide starter heading into a season? It's a great question. And I actually just looked up really quick when we're making that argument of the first half last year in Indianapolis for the second half, maybe thinking he was better after he had some you know, acclimation. It's actually the opposite. He had a 75 mm-hmm. passing grade for us yeah. through week nine, then a 64 passing grade the second half. So I'm not even sure you can make that argument for him. Yeah, I mean, right. I don't think he is handed a legitimate starting job. You maybe get like a Mitchell Trubisky-esque situation in Pittsburgh where they do make you the starter, but they know in the back of their minds, if they land a draft pick, you are going to have a very short leash like he obviously did before Kenny Pickett came in. Um, and honestly, you have to wonder, with his, he's made over $100 million at this point, has taken some significant injuries. He's kind of a quiet guy that likes to go duck hunting and, like, you know, kind of, do, you know, be a bit of a recluse. And, again, I don't mean that in, like, a, that's just a, you know, reality situation. It's funny. Sometimes, you know, again, we always say this joke, like, this is why they're them and we're us. If I'm him, I ride off from the sunset and never see right. a joke about myself on Twitter or whatever ever again. Because, yeah, I, I don't see a scenario where he is handed a starting job in 2023. Yeah, I mean, there are teams who could be looking for starting quarterbacks again next season. Among those would be the Falcons, uh, Panthers, Lions, uh, Packers, if Aaron Rodgers retires. 
Colts, Saints, Buccaneers, Commanders are in there as well. Um, but clearly he would not be going to the Colts or the Commanders. So you take those out of the mix. And there's not really enough rookie quarterbacks to go around for all of those teams in this year's draft. We'll maybe talk about that a little bit later. So there are teams that are just going to be looking for those like veteran fill-in starters. or or. But, yeah, I, I think that if you do – if Carson Wentz does get released, which obviously – that's we're getting ahead of ourselves with this. And if he becomes a free agent, then I don't think that you can look at him as anything more is than just quarterback con- competition for either a, a young quarterback who struggled um, or another veteran type starter, you know, the way that Geno Smith was this season coming into the year. And yeah, I don't think that you can hand a starting job over to him before the, the 2023 season begins. Uh, let's get into our next segment, Fresh Off the Wire. Lots of injury news to go around uh, talking about today. Uh, first of which, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen both finally back at practice for the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers, Chargers have done a pretty good job of treading water while those guys have been out. And I think that what everyone expects now is when Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are back in that offense, that Justin Herbert can actually take that step forward into being the quarterback that we saw last year. Obviously, they have had other injuries. Being without Rashawn Slater hurts. All the defensive injuries obviously hurt them as well. But I think that we could start to see the old Justin Herbert again once those guys are back uh, in the Chargers offense. No question about it. I I think he showed some things in the last game. I know folks probably think this is crazy to say, but against that San Francisco 49ers defense without these two guys, he was our fifth highest graded quarterback Mm -hmm. on the week with an 81.1. And for all transparency, sometimes I come in each week and I see a grade and I'm kind of like, hey, you know, I know we don't just check box scores. That's why we exist. But based on what I saw in the box score, I'm going to poke holes in this a little bit and see what's there. He made several really, really, really nice throws. There's one where he's stepping up and he's throwing to his right, moving a little bit to the left there's pressure coming it's like one maybe the best throw of the entire week um and the Niners defense is as good as it gets so I do think mm-hmm. he's playing better I think he looked also healthier in this game where yeah. the ribs didn't bother him as much um yeah but he needs these guys back he needs Keenan Allen back so badly base hasn't played since week one um and they look great week one Keenan Allen had to look good in week one so yeah they, they need the help as soon as possible yeah I mean he's been throwing to uh you know uh, what's his name? Josh Palmer and uh, you know DeAndre Carter and Michael Bandy. Like, it's not as if it's you know a situation with the Bengals with like Jamar Chase out, where you still have got Tyler Boyd and T Higgins in there. Like, Josh Palmer was a decent rookie last year. He's been a decent second year player this year, but you can't you can't have him as your your number one wide receiver and offense is going to move the ball efficiently. So, uh, yeah, definitely will be big to get them back. Also with the Chargers, Joey Bosa. Brandon Staley said that uh, he's not sure how close Joey Bosa is to returning. Could still be a couple of weeks away. Didn't want to put a timetable on his recovery. I don't know. I mean, we've said it before. Like The the overall upside of this Chargers team was definitely capped when J.C. Jackson was out for the season, Rashawn Slater, all these guys. But you know, when, when they are able to get these massive pieces back, they could still be a competitive team in that AFC West. I think you see T.J. Watt return for the Pittsburgh Steelers and what that does for their entire defense. And look, Joey Bosa opposite Khalil Mack can make a really, really big difference and honestly mask some of those issues in the secondary. Obviously, J.C. Jackson was not playing well. Um, but in theory, was going to get better as the season went on and he got more comfortable in a dramatically different defensive scheme with Brandon Staley. So, yeah, I do think 
There is, you know, and, and I'm Slater too. There's like an outside chance. Apparently he could return um, from right. that torn biceps. I think that would be like playoffs only type of thing. But nevertheless, yeah, I mean, their season's not dead. Like you said, they did a good enough job of treading water. They, of course, had the Kansas City Chiefs this week. So getting those receivers back would be as big as humanly possible. They're a full touchdown underdog at home in that game. Um, but yeah, their, their season's not dead. No, absolutely not. Uh, some more news around the NFL. Bills have a sickness, some injuries going around. Um, it, what was it? They didn't even have enough players to do team drills today. Yeah. So that's obviously a, a massive problem there in Buffalo. And then also two to three feet of snow expected Sunday in Buffalo. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, Bills are have lost their last two. Uh, now they've got all these injuries and illnesses. I, I wouldn't expect Josh Allen to still be at 100% entering this game. I know he was limited in practice with that elbow injury. Uh, I certainly don't think the, that the wheels are going to come off in Buffalo or anything like that. But this is a, a tough stretch for a Bills team that is still the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I think two to three feet of snow plus 20 to 30 mile an hour gusts of wind plus Josh Allen's elbow. You see the spread in Vegas has come now from Cleveland Browns plus nine and a half all the way down to plus eight. Um, and I think it could continue to go because, yeah, I mean, they're the best rushing offense in the NFL. They have some injuries of their own. Wyatt Teller left the game again this past week. He's been kind of battling with injuries throughout the season. But you can run on this Bills defense. And the Cleveland Browns can run and the Bills struggle running the football. And even when, you know, Singletary's gotten better, but he's not kind of that 20 to 30 carry snow game type of guy. That's not really his MO. Neither is Naheem Hines, their addition they made, neither with James Cook. Like this is not really as much as they're, you know, a Buffalo football team. They're kind of built to win some dome style football games. So, you know, the defense needs to step up, play well. But this is an interesting opportunity for Cleveland to maybe get a massive, massive win. You know, now with Deshaun Watson back in practice and trying to sell themselves and others on on the playoff potential. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, like you mentioned, Nick Chubb is a player that you would certainly want if you're playing in two to three feet of snow, as long as obviously he can hold the ball. But they've also got Kareem Hunt and Jerome Ford and Dearness Johnson. Like their running back stable is stacked. Whereas, yeah, the Bills have made additions. Like Naheem Hines is certainly a useful player as a pass catcher out of the backfield. Uh, James Cook hasn't really ascended yet. Devin Singletary, probably like a, an average, I'd say, lead back in that offense. They don't really have the the one thing they're missing is really that um, that like that lead bell cow running back that could you know carry the ball between the tackles and, and and carry that offense. So yeah, I think that there's certainly a possibility that they could fall once again this weekend if the weather is as expected. And I mean, if you go through the the injury and illness list, guys who didn't practice, Tremaine Edmonds with groin and heel uh, groin and heel injuries. Uh, their cornerback Cam Lewis with a forearm plus illness, linebacker Matt Milano with an illness, uh, defensive tackle Jordan Phillips with an illness, Jordan Poyer limited with an elbow injury, Greg Rousseau did not practice with an ankle injury. So, you know, these are some pretty massive players on their team who weren't able to practice. And, you know, entering this game, this seems pretty unbelievable, but the Bills are in third place in the AFC East. And I think that everyone expected them to run away with that division entering this season but now the dolphins are seven and three they've already beat the bills the jets are six and three they've beat the bills bills are six and three and the patriots aren't that far behind right now at five and four in in the division and you know if they can get some more help from mac jones in the second half of the season they could actually wind up being contenders as well so the bills it sounds kind of crazy to say this 
at this point in the season, they can't really be affording to lose more games. No, not at all, because you want to win the division at the very least to not have a road playoff game. And, you know, we talked about the one seed is so difficult to achieve at this point. It's kind of funny. We talked about the AFC West and how hard it would be for the Kansas City Chiefs to get there because of how difficult all their games would be against Denver and Las Vegas and the Chargers. Um, Like I said, they're a full touchdown favorite on the road this week against the Chargers and the Broncos and the Raiders stink. So it's funny how it's flipped and the AFC East is kind of this gauntlet division now. You know, maybe Gauntlet's strong, but none of those three opponents for Buffalo are an easy win by any stretch of the imagination. Um, obviously, Bill Belichick, you know, is always going to have an answer. They beat them last year, and you know, similarly, you know, a game that was barely football more looked more like rugby. Right. Um, but yeah, so no, it's it, it's a uh, it's interesting because. Look, they didn't have a home playoff game in the first round. How crazy would that be, considering the ascendancy they looked like they were on coming into this season? Yeah, I mean, even if you just look at the division records in the AFC East right now, obviously this will change by the end of the season. But Dolphins two and one, Jets two and one, Patriots one and one, Bills currently zero and two in their division, um, and those teams aren't aren't getting that much easier as the season goes along. Uh, another piece of news out there: Saints will continue to start Andy Dalton at quarterback. This doesn't come as a massive surprise, but there did seem to be some buzz building that Jameis Winston. Uh, could start before the end of the season. And obviously that still could be the case. All sort of depends on on how Andy Dalton performs this week. And I would expect. Yeah. You know, I I think they need to turn over to Jameis at some point. Dalton is our higher graded quarterback by a decent amount. Um, But you know, Winston's going to push the ball down the field and I think he's going to introduce variance and and some, you know, some Taylor Heineke ism to the game of football. And the saints kind of need that right now. Their defense is not as stout as it once was. They were kind of bullied, you know, along the trenches in this past game on defense. You know, it sounded like Cam Jordan gave a speech to the locker room, kind of an, an, an impassioned speech discussing how they needed to turn things around and, and deliver a better performance. But they're missing a bunch of guys in practice, too. Marcus Davenport has been out for a while now, you know, are missing practices. Yep. Cam Jordan, I think, missed today's practice. Could be a veteran rest day. But they're, they're always, you know, in New Orleans, seems like dealing with injuries. Um, and, yeah, I just think the one way you can turn around is hope Jameis finds Chris Olave downfield on a bunch of explosive receptions, and that's maybe the difference for you and spark something in this offense. Uh, two pieces of news for the Eagles. Dallas Goddard heads to IR at at least four weeks, and then they signed defensive tackle Linval Joseph. And it's a smart signing just because I do think that the Eagles' run defense has been exploited a little bit uh, so far this season, so bringing in a, a veteran player can help calling up the middle of the field, but losing Dallas Goddard, like look at the way that he was used two weeks ago by the Eagles. Like that's a pretty massive loss for that uh, Eagles offense. Oh, no question about it. You know, he is kind of been used as more of a yards after the catch guy, but he can catch the ball downfield. He had a couple nice catches against Washington. Um, it, you know, is a clear cut top five tight end, also a good run blocker, not just a pass catcher. And, you know, outside of AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, they do have Quez Watkins and some other guys, but Goddard is their go-to guy. Kenny Gainwell has been an average, but I think they probably thought more of him as a pass catcher out of the backfield. They do have some depth there. They had a Grant Calcaterra who you know, famously kind of played in college for a while after tearing, I want to say, both ACLs, but was a you know a talent. Jack Stoll was a player there. But, no, it's a really, really big loss for them for the next four months. Then you mentioned Linval Joseph. Just no question about it. They are dead last in EPA per rush allowed right now, and it's gotten worse since Jordan Davis has been lost. Their big nose tackle on the interior, their first-round mm-hmm. pick, who still, I think, has two more weeks left on injured reserve before he can return, if, if he even does come back right away. So 
I like that addition for them a lot. Another veteran presence along the interior there. They have all sorts of kind of elder statesmen along that defensive line with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and now Linval Joseph. And I think Cox mentioned he played 70 snaps against Washington. You don't want him playing 70 snaps no. in any game at this point in his career. Yeah, not at this point uh, right now. Another piece of Saints news, they signed running back David Johnson. They've just been like, like filtering through running backs there with the Saints. Can't expect David Johnson to make a massive impact there, but uh, depth sign for New Orleans. But uh, Cardinals, the Hollywood Brown back at practice at wide receiver. That would be a big addition to their offense. But both quarterbacks, Kyler Murray and Colt McCoy, are currently day-to-day with injuries. Um, I, I saw one person write a, a column this week, I think for the Arizona Republic, that the Cardinals should stick with Colt McCoy over Kyler Murray uh, until he he basically proves the team differently. And it was an argument like somewhat similar to the the Taylor Heineke, Carson Wentz thing, and that, you know, the intangibles, and they play harder for Colt McCoy and all this stuff. It's it's uh, obviously that's that's absurd given the contract that the Cardinals just handed to Kyler Murray. But as I said last week on this show, when Kyler Murray gets hurt, you can't really trust a lot of the communication that comes out of Arizona about it because it seems like those injuries just linger a little bit longer than what they're admitting to. Yeah, that is kind of a crazy you – know, like you, you don't give a contract that big and then yeah. maybe flirt with benching a guy after giving him 46 points. Yeah. yeah, for Cole McCoy of all people or Trace McSorley or whoever you in theory want to bench him for, uh, just not the reality situation. But, yeah, that, that is interesting to monitor. I know you said Marquise Brown at the latest would be after their buy and their buy still in a couple of weeks, and then he's now – you said back at practice or got act, opened his window? Uh, well, it opened his window, which means that he is back at practice. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it looks like I had a schedule or, or back on schedule. They're interesting because when you finally get the offense with DeAndre Hopkins, Rondell Moore, and Marquise Brown, I want to say Moore and, and Hopkins had 11 and 9 targets last week that they were getting fed in that game by Colt McCoy. You had another guy, Marquise Brown, who was top five in targets in the NFL before he got hurt. Obviously, Hopkins was not playing until Brown got hurt, but that's a really, really talented and diverse skill set wide receiver trio. AJ Green actually had a really nice touchdown catch in that game a little corner of the end zone you know goal line fade toe tap type thing that he used to do with a little bit more regularity in Cincinnati they're intriguing and, and it was a massive win for them against the Rams a team that has just been owning them for the last couple of years now you know their season's also not dead it's not super alive either but I just want more intrigue and hard knocks in season I guess yeah it is it, it is interesting how many of those teams right now where it's like well they're not dead but it's kind of teetering on that yeah Cardinals four and six I mean, even talk about the Rams, their season probably is dead now that Cooper Cup uh, has landed on injured reserve at three and six. But I mean, obviously, expectations were very high for them coming into the year. Mm-hmm. Commanders certainly looked like they were dead. Now they're back at five and five. And they've got, as you mentioned earlier, they, they've got the Texans on Sunday. So they could improve to six and five pretty, pretty easily here. Packers at four and six, another team that looks like they might be dead, but they're playing at home on Thursday night against the Tennessee Titans. So, yeah, not ready to rule out some of these teams just yet. Let's take a quick break, though. PFF Wire is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. Will you focus on your roster moves? Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash 
PFF. Also, uh, just subscribe to PFF Wire Podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube and would like to listen instead of watching us all the time. Uh, let's get into a new segment here, and that's Wild Stat Wednesday. Brad, I will let you kick this off. Yeah, so we wanted to dig in and just find some interesting stats that we've noticed over the couple, you know, past couple of weeks. And one that I found it, here's a quick plug, when I was working on my top 10 free agents article, we are now starting to pump that out. It'll be 25 in two weeks, 50 two weeks after that. So we are getting underway on free agency. But uh, Patriots wide receiver Jacoby Myers was on the top 10 list. He is the number one wide receiver hitting free agency. He's known, of course, as a slot guy who ran a 4.6340, which was 14th percentile. Not good. Um, you know, he, he, but he's 6'2", 200 pounds, very sure-handed. And I didn't realize exactly how sure-handed he was. He's actually second among all wide receivers over the last three seasons in contested catches. The rate of contested targets that he turns into contested catches trailing only Michael Thomas. So he's a good yards after the catch guy. He runs solid routes. And yes, you don't want to have a ton of contested targets because that means that you're not getting super open. But his numbers not that high. And he is converting 69% of all contested targets into catches, second only to Michael Thomas over the entire NFL the last three years. Yeah, I don't think that you might have like expected that out of Jacoby Myers, but he's already made a couple of spectac- spectacular contested catches this season. And yeah, if you can't separate with four four speed, then you better be able to catch the ball over defenders. And Jacoby Myers has done a very good job of that uh, throughout his career so far. My addition or my my wild stat Wednesday uh, is Tua Tango Vailoa. On deep passes this season, which is 20-plus yards, is completing 65.6% of deep passes. That is first in the NFL. And to just let you know how high that 65.6% number is, all other NFL quarterbacks in the NFL, if you subtract Tua Tango Vailoa's deep passing stats, they are at 36.1%. So Tua... 65.6, wow. rest of the NFL, 36.1, 29.5 percentage points higher. Also looking at adjusted completion percentage. So that is if you take out drops, Tuatango Vailoa on deep passes, 71.9%. The rest of the NFL, if you take out Tuatango Vailoa, 39.4%. So he is, once again, 32.5 percentage points higher than every other quarterback in the NFL at, you know, at adjusted completion percentage on those deep passes. It's been pretty remarkable to see how accurate Tua Tagovailoa has been on deep passes. Obviously, it helps to have a guy like Tyreek Hill who can track deep balls with the best of them. You've got Jalen Waddle who's able to run past defenders as well. But you also need a quarterback who's not going to underthrow those wide receivers or overthrow those wide receivers. And Tua has done a pretty phenomenal job of that. Uh, just a quick plug as well. I believe tomorrow I will be writing a piece on Tua Tagovailoa. I won't give the the full, uh, you know, uh, like what uh, the, what the piece is going to be, but it is going to be on Tua Tagovailoa, and I'll probably have some more uh, pretty remarkable numbers about Tua throughout the first what is it ten weeks of the NFL season. 
That's crazy. That's higher than his 20 plus yard passing would be a top 20 mark for overall passing in, in completion yes. percentage, which is pretty insane. Like you said, yes, he has the good receivers and all that. He has a couple underthrown balls. They've made some good plays yeah. on, but it's you cannot make excuses when he's that far off the charts as an outlier. Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. And uh, I think kind of oddly enough, Davis Mills and Matt Ryan are like pretty high up there as far as deep passing goes as well. What's so, odd about Mills Mafia being the top? <laughs> what's odd about that? My guy. Uh, Mills Mafia. Um, no, I mean, but credit where it's due to Davis Mills. I mean, maybe they should be throwing the ball a little bit more. Maybe they'd be winning more games there in Houston right now. Uh, let's get into our next segment here before we talk about Thursday Night Football a little bit. Uh, just a quick uh, rumor roundup. There, there are there is some expectation that Derek Carr could be traded after the season. It's worth noting that Derek Carr has a no trade clause, so he would have to approve any trade after the season. His contract, essentially, I mean, obviously, the Raiders have three options after the season given his contract. One is to keep him, but if they do keep him, his contract becomes guaranteed for injury, for everything, for skill after three days after the Super Bowl. So that's really, if they wanted to cut Derek Carr, they would have to do it within the first three days after the Super Bowl. If they want to keep Derek Carr, then it's an easy decision. If they want to trade Derek Carr, they would probably have to reach an agreement with a team before the Super Bowl or before that, that you know three days after the Super Bowl deadline to ensure that they actually can trade him. Because if they want to trade him and they can't find a partner after that deadline, then you have to hold on to him or, you know, release him and his entire contract is guaranteed. So it just, it's kind of a messy situation after the year. But uh, one person I was talking to this week mentioned the Houston Texans actually is a potential destination for Derek Carr. Uh, He said at the time, I think, or maybe it was even this year that he was shocked that that the Texans did not draft him back in 2014, given the history that they had with David Carr, uh, but that he still thinks very highly of the Texans organization Texans clearly could use a quarterback next year, even though Davis Mills has been fine this year. I do think that Derek Carr would be an upgrade there. The one thing is that the Texans could wind up having two top 10 picks next year. Currently, they have the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, plus another top 10 pick that they got from the Cleveland Browns. I would expect the Cleveland Browns to finish good enough to be out of that top 10 level. But I will say that you know if you're the Texans and you don't love the quarterbacks at the top of this class, You could add Derek Carr, probably with only like a second-round pick and a little bit more, and then you take those two first-round picks and improve your defense or add a a major playmaker at wide receiver or something like that. It wouldn't be the worst approach to to improving your team in the short term. I'm sure Derek Carr saw saw his brother David get sacked about 70 times a season and may have different feelings. You know, I'm sure he spent no, a lot of time. I, like, I think that he likes that. I do. I think that he holds him in a high regard still, which is kind of surprising, honestly, given the way that it went with David Carr. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was an expansion team, so you kind of knew what right. you were getting there. Um, and I'm sure they took care of David as much as they could, besides, you know, giving him an offensive line. Yeah. Uh, took care of him in other ways. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate the idea for sure in concept. I mean, I'm a Bryce Young stand, so obviously, yeah. I think they should take him and figure out the rest um, i don't hate the idea in principle um because you do have so much extra draft capital obviously the extra first and second uh, i want to say this right. upcoming draft and then another extra first the following year i believe it is so are we there to use that extra first this year that was uh, yeah i guess the extra first was this year yeah 
Anyway, they, they, they have a lot of draft capital. That, yep. that, that is for sure. So you could basically move for a veteran quarterback and not really lose your kind of, you know, draft position. Same time, though, I think we've seen what Derek Carr is. I, I wouldn't yeah. spend big money on him. I would try to go the rookie quarterback route. Right. Um, it, the contract is interesting, though. Oakland left themselves an out. Even ignoring, you know, the, the fact that salary is going to become guaranteed, you just don't prorate a lot of this money so that you don't have the massive dead cap shortfall right. that obviously clogs up your books. You know, Russell Wilson maybe gets traded a year earlier in Seattle, hypothetically, obviously. Um, you know, if, if you didn't have $39 million in dead cap left behind, it was down to twenty six when they ultimately made the move. So they can get creative here and do a lot of different things. I think if another team wants to take on this deal, it's about a three-year, $115 million deal, it looks like, which is not terrible for a quarterback of Derek Carr's caliber. If you think, like you said, he upgrades it for you. Yeah, and the thing is, the last piece I find interesting is you mentioned a lot of those teams at the top of the show that need a quarterback. Indianapolis and Washington, just two that come back to mind, they're not going to be picking high enough, right? It's going right. to be Houston, maybe Las Vegas yep. in this hypothetical, and you know, and Detroit and those teams. So one of those teams probably does make a lot of sense if he's willing to waive his no trade clause. The uh, I'd say that one issue with David Carr's trade value this season is that a bunch of teams traded for veteran quarterbacks this year with, you know, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield. How have all those quarterbacks done? Absolutely horribly. So, I mean, like, I think that if that hadn't happened, then yeah, maybe Derek Carr's trade value is even higher than what we're talking about. But I think that teams do look around the league and say like, all right, all these teams tried trading for veteran quarterbacks. It went very poorly for them. Why are we going to try to take the same approach? And that would, I think, be especially true for teams like the Colts and Commanders, where it's like, all right, do we want to do this again with another veteran quarterback? Or do you know the Texans take this approach with Derek Carr and said, we trade up with like for that Texans number one overall pick, like give up, you know, the the massive haul that you have to do that. And then for the Texans, obviously that would only improve their team. Uh, even more moving forward if they were able to acquire draft picks, still take a rookie quarterback to compete with Derek Carr, whatever it would have to be. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it does complicate matters a little bit that all these veteran quarterbacks did struggle this year. Uh, latest that I heard from personal exec is that probably only two or three quarterbacks going in the first round in 2023. Uh, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, I think, are, are pretty much sure things right now. Will Levis has struggled so much recently that it does seem like it, there's a possibility now at this point that maybe he's not a surefire first rounder, at least to some people around the NFL. Then Hendon Hooker is the other one to to look into, the Tennessee quarterback who's been so good this season. But going to be 25 years old in January, and that offense he's playing in in Tennessee really might not translate that well to the NFL level. He's really only throwing to the sidelines, barely throwing to the middle of the field at all. And he's barely ever getting past his first read. I, I looked it up today. I think he only has five passing attempts this season on his second read. So it's just been like all first read uh, for him in that Tennessee offense so far. Yeah, no, Josh Heupel uh, can scheme guys open with the best of them and has done that so far this year. And then you saw him you know, step up in class against the Georgia you know, Bulldogs defense, and he looked more human. He yeah. has been great. Like you say, he's also 25 years old or will be on draft day. I am the kind of the other side of the spectrum. I'm the leader of, I guess, I don't want to say hater. I don't, I don't know the kid. I don't care about it. You know, the kid as a person, but I don't think Will Levis is good. I've, I've tweeted that many, probably too many times. Um, but I do wonder 
if he's playing through injuries. And I think the funny thing is NFL teams probably that would boost his stock in some respects. He got hurt, missed a couple games earlier in the year, did come back. And they're not even letting him throw downfield. I mean, against my Vanderbilt Commodores, who got the dub against the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, like, they weren't, they weren't letting him uncork it. It was just all these checkdowns and screens and quick outs and slants. And they have talent at wide receivers. So I do wonder if that's part of it. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I view him as a guy that we're going to hear the Josh Allen comparison the entire time. Right. And nine out of ten times when we hear that going forward, which we're going to hear it a lot, that player is going to be more like a Drew Locker or Christian Hackenberg than actually becoming a Josh Allen. As exciting as it is to think that could happen again, he is such a rare, rare, rare you know, outcome for, for that type of player. Yeah, you, you have to be banking on that extremely rare outcome if you do draft Will Levis. And like, I just don't think that you can bank on that because, yeah, as you mentioned, there's so many other examples of those quarterbacks not working out, whether it's, yeah, Christian Hackenberg, Drew Locker, like, Look back at Jake Locker. Like Jake Locker was completing like fifty-five percent of his passes in Washington, and was like, "Oh, you know, you can improve that in, at the NFL level." And like, it doesn't happen. And it happened with Josh Allen, but that doesn't mean that it's really ever going to happen again. And like, maybe it's a worth, it's a risk worth taking if you already have someone else who can play quarterback, or you draft Will Levis banking on that then also sign one of these other like for the for the Seahawks or something they, they re-sign Geno Smith and then if Will Levis drops in the draft to you know at the end of the first round whatever it is like yeah maybe you do that and see if you can develop him into the next Josh Allen but I don't think that you can really take Will Levis if the rest of the season goes as the beginning has near the top of the first round and just like throw him in right away and expect him to be your franchise quarterback right away. I don't think it's going to work out that well. Uh, let's talk real quick about Thursday night's game. I mentioned it earlier it is the Titans at the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are favored by three points. The point total is 41. I don't feel super strongly about uh, the, the line or the point total. Uh, what are you thinking in this game? Yeah, so on Sunday it was minus Packers minus two and a half. I did send our podcast. I was I was jumping on that. I did, but now at this point, you know, I think it's gotten the full field goal. It's different. I know people yeah. may hear that and say it's a half point, but it, it matters because games close on these key numbers three seven etc. Um, you know, so I I would get into the prop market and I, I liked your props, so I'll let you go first there. Yeah, uh, Chig Okonkwo, the Titans tight end has been, I believe, one of our highest graded tight ends over the last couple of weeks because he's got two catches for 89 yards over the last two weeks. Like, he's just been a an after-the-catch machine on these. It's only two receptions, but for a team like the Titans that just does not have a lot going on at wide receiver or at tight end, I think that they could look to actually get him a little bit more involved in the offense the player prop right now is Okonkwo over nine and a half receiving yards. Um, and granted, only two catches over the last two weeks. But I think that you could probably expect that to rise given what he's been able to do when he does have the ball in his hand. So uh, uh, that's also one that PFF Greenline likes quite a bit as well. So that kind of talked me into liking the uh, nine and a half yard total on that, taking the over on that. 
I like that one for a couple of reasons. They definitely like him. They've been using him more. Austin Hooper's been solid for them. But like you said, not much at receiver. Traylon Burks did come back, but didn't really look like he was at 100% in their last game. Uh, and then, you know, you've been able to pick on uh, Darnell Savage. I was blanking for a second. Darnell Savage had a tough year this year. I mean, they've added Jonathan Abram. They've done a lot of things at safety because he's been a guy you can pick on in coverage. And against Dallas, Dalton Schultz had like a bunch of catches. I remember a few of them were matched up with Darnell Savage. who was able to create separation. One, he kind of just boxed out on Darnell Savage and just won the rep. So yeah. I like that bet as well. I'm a big Chico guy out of Maryland. I think he's a great athlete that could become a really interesting player going forward um, at tight end. I like that pick a lot. So my favorite prop is Derrick Henry over 22 and a half uh, just carries over 22 and a half carries. I want to say six games this year. He is top of that. Green Bay is third worst in EPA per rush allowed this season. I also like the game script component of look, Green Bay can win. They did score 28 points in regulation against Dallas, but they don't really like go up in bunches. I mean, Christian Watson right. is not going to have, as we talked about, these 60 yard bomb touchdowns every single week. And so I think it's going to be probably a one score game or close to it almost the entire game. And so Tennessee is probably not going to go away from the run to a degree. Heck, they still run the ball when they're down a couple scores. So uh, Derrick Henry also went to the medical tent last week, but it was a DK Metcalf situation. He was not actually injured. He had to relieve himself. So <laughs> I think he's healthy. I think short week, limited you know, game uh, play sheet, keep it simple, run at this porous and bad Green Bay Packers defense. I think Derrick Henry could have 30-plus carries in this game. I like that quite a bit as well. And, yeah, going back to Oconquo, he is, over the last two weeks, uh, he has the highest receiving grade among tight ends, highest offensive grade overall among tight ends. And, once again, it is a small sample size. But four forced missed tackles on those two receptions, and of those 89 yards, 76 that came after the catch. So uh, get the ball in space or get him the ball in space and he can make some big things happen. Uh, one thing before we do go, there is a question in here from Julian Altabelli. What do you guys think happens with Jimmy Garoppolo? Niners make the Super Bowl. It puts the team in a tough spot, sets up Jimmy to make money in free agency, possible reunion with Pats, considering their quarterback situation. I would, I don't know. I mean, if, if the 49ers like make the Super Bowl, I guess they would have if the 49ers win the Super Bowl, I kind of think Jimmy Garoppolo would be back in San Francisco next year, right? Like you almost have no choice. I think you have to. I, at that point, it, it, unless again, I mean, he's now 10 and 2 in games where he does not throw a touchdown pass right. that came out after their win. Um, and, and in the playoff run last year, I want to say he didn't throw a touchdown in their two wins, maybe threw one in the loss to the Rams. So, you know, I it's so tough, but I think you know, and, and you look at all the arguments for how he's benefited by his surroundings, of course, that is true to a degree. But, hey, if a guy can operate in a system well and can get the ball to those playmakers in space and let them do their job, it's not useless, right? Like, it's not nothing. So, it's so tough. I mean, he's now made $2.4 million in incentives already this year. If they did hypothetically make a Super Bowl, he'd be up at 4 $5 million if he keeps winning games this year. He gets two hundred fifty grand for every game he plays 50% of snaps in. It's five hundred grand for making the NFC Championship game, I think. Another maybe a million for winning. Like it's, He'd be up there in compensation for this year. It would be tough. I'm sure it could be tough in the locker room. That being said, he kind of just did that, right? I mean, he made the NFC right. Championship game. They could have won that game if Jaquiski Tart makes that catch at the end of the game. So you've already kind of gone through some of those pains. Trey Lance, you've made him the guy. In theory, you've named him the guy. I don't know. It's tough because, yeah, he will probably walk. And you know, all you get is a compensatory pick when you want to trade him or whatever the case may be. I think that's just going to be the reality of the situation, though. Yeah, I think that, you know, 
chances are they're not going to win the Super Bowl. So if they lose in the Super Bowl, if they lose in the playoffs, it, it does make it a easier pill to swallow to get rid of him. I don't think he's necessarily going to sign a very pricey contract in free agency, just given the fact that you know, no one traded for him this offseason. And, you know, there, there, there were other extenuating circumstances in place there with the injury and some of the other quarterback situations getting settled, what the 49ers asking price was. But I think that if you are the 49ers – like you could probably sign him to a, a relatively shallow contract. Like I don't think it's going to be paying him like forty million dollars a year as a quarterback unless he like finishes the season fantastically. One team to watch. I know that Julian put in there at the Patriots. Eh, it's possible, but I think that you know Mac Jones will at least improve uh, throughout the rest of the season. I'm not sure if you want to set him up for that type of quarterback controversy heading into year three. I think you'd rather just set it up to be Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. Team that we mentioned earlier, the, the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, if they really do trade away Derek Carr, then Jimmy Garoppolo is a free agent. He came in with the Patriots back in 2014. He's obviously got knowledge of, of Josh McDaniel's system. For the for the for the Raiders, like even if you're just straight up cutting Derek Carr at that point, like rather than paying Derek Carr whatever it is, is it 32 million dollars next year? Like you could probably sign Jimmy Garoppolo for something like. $20 million a year or, you know, 25 million, whatever it would be, you're saving money and getting a player that maybe you trust more, maybe knows the system a little bit better. I don't know. Like obviously ideally you, you get something in return for Derek Carr in a trade, but I think that they could still wind up saving money by bringing in a guy like Jim Garoppolo or the other possibility there, the, the home run possibility for the Las Vegas Raiders next off season would clearly be to trade Derek Carr and then sign Another former Patriots quarterback who's going to be a free agent, and that would be Tom Brady. But uh, we're certainly getting out ahead of ourselves with that because we don't know if he's going to retire. We don't know what happens with the Buccaneers this season. Um, but the Raiders, given you know their draft picks, given Jimmy Garoppolo, given Tom Brady, some of these other situations out there, do have options beyond Derek Carr for the 2023 season, which is why we're talking about the possibility of him being traded or cut or whatever it would be um, like we are. But – I think that will do it for today's edition of PFF Wire. We will be back with you guys again on Friday to go through fantasy news and notes, uh, preview every game heading into the Week 11 slate. But download the PFF app, subscribe to PFF Plus, subscribe to PFF Wire on Apple and Spotify. Follow Brad on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Kide. And like I said, we will be back with you guys again on Friday around the same time.